Hello, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. I'm very excited to introduce our guest to you today. We have Shirley Otis Green, who is known by everybody who has ever spent 15 minutes in palliative care. Shirley is a social worker by training. She is passionate about many things, including interprofessional education, interpersonal care, and many, many other things. You cannot pick up a tech textbook or a paper of any importance without seeing her name all over it. She is the she is the president and the founder of Collaborative Caring. So welcome Shirley. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much. Absolutely. We're so happy you're here. So when I was Shirley and I were talking about recording this podcast, I say I said you could talk about anything you would like. You could read the phone book because you're so interesting. Give me a crazy title. So she took me at my word and she threw out the title for this podcast of Horses are made to be horses. How palliative care lays the foundation for person-centered care. So while I think that's a very cool title, Shirley, I'm not quite sure I understand it. So uh, what were your thoughts there? How does horsemanship relate to palliative care? What's the dealio? I know, right? Um, Well, I did take you seriously, and I am passionate about many things, and horses are one of those passions. And this was a wonderful classic horsemanship book from 1996. And I just love the title. I love what's inside it, of course, as well, but I love the title. It's called Horses Are Made to Be Horses. Mm-hmm. And the author makes the assertion that you shouldn't be angry at a prey animal if he's a little bit flighty, if he's nervous when he sees something unusual. His job is to run first and ask questions later. Mm-hmm. And our job as the person riding the horse is to be able to recognize that particular horse's perspective and to be able to under the best horseman is going to be uh, or horse person in today's language um, is going to be someone who is able to understand what's going on from that other individual's perspective and that's I think the key to palliative care Mm. what palliative care tries to do is create an environment where the person that we're interacting with can feel safe Um, in the same way that a rider tries to create an environment where the horse can feel safe. And then the good horse person uh, attempts to understand what's going on, again, from the point of view of that particular horse. Mm -hmm. If that horse has a history of having been traumatized, maybe he's been abused or neglected, maybe um, bad things have happened um, in that that horse's uh, previous uh, life, the, the rider's job is to try and figure that out, um, understand, and calmly and quietly uh, present a situation so the horse can uh, feel safe and move forward and and you can have this ideal relationship evolve. So it's all about creating a relationship and being Mm -hmm. able to, again, look from the eyes of this other being's perspective. And as I said, I think that's really the beauty of palliative care. Our goal is to understand the values and beliefs and fears and preferences of the individual person that we might be seeing. Our goal is to contextualize what's going on in their health condition so that that person can understand and feel safe. One of the, um, from a social work perspective, one of the key phrases that I use all the time is, as anxiety goes up, retention goes down. And so Mm -hmm. we want to create a safe environment for that person. And we need to know what's going on from that person's point of view. When they come to see us, they might be frightened and afraid, and that makes sense. Our hospital situation, especially now, after the pandemic, you know, people are pretty terrified to be involved with anything about health care. 
Mm-hmm. So if we can create the conditions for them to feel safe, then we can move forward. Um, but it's all built on having that solid foundation, that rapport and relationship. Well, that's a wonderful analogy, and I know that you and I share this passion for interprofessional education and practice. Um, and I know I always am always saying that I'm not happy unless everybody else around me goes home at least 10% pharmacist. And I always claim to be 10% social worker, mostly thanks to you, Shirley. But I know that um, I learned a trick from you so many years ago that when I'm talking with anyone, a patient, just anyone, and I have no clue what's going on, is to simply say, tell me more. Uh, and that wonderful? has served me in very good stead. It saved my bacon many a, many a time. So and saved you two years of graduate uh, social work education. You know, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Less tuition. Thank you. So, as I said, knowing how passionate you are about interprofessional practice, tell me more about why this is important for quality health care. I mean, who cares beside you and me? <laughs> well, I think the reason we care so desperately is because I think um, we've, we've had um, both personal and professional um, examples, you know, throughout our lives where we can see how the principles from one area can be applied um, to another and, you know, can serve us so well. One of the things I think that makes people, um, you know, kind of top of the food chain maybe um, is our ability to have vicarious learning. Um, you know, a lot of critters have to um, have the experience themselves um, before they can learn uh, from that. We have the ability to learn from example. And mm-hmm. one of the examples is the ability to learn from other disciplines. Uh, just as you described, um, being able to, you know, see how another, um, maybe the way a, a, a really skilled physician can uh, lead a family meeting can help me um, when I watch that to be able to be more skillful in the next family meeting that I'm uh, involved in. Being able to learn from my pharmacy colleagues the importance of how they describe um, uh, the problems of polypharmacy can help me to better understand why I should be paying attention when they come in with a bag, uh, you know, a shopping bag full of Mm -hmm. uh, medications and it can be an alert for me to do something about that. And so, you know, not saying that we should work out of our scope of practice, but definitely saying that we can learn so much from people from other fields, and not just from other fields of healthcare. Again, you know, the, the wonderful book that says, I learned everything I needed to in kindergarten. I don't mm-hmm. remember the title. I love that book. I know, right? Such a great mm-hmm. classic. Um, I hope our readers are familiar, and I'm sorry I can't say the name of the author. But, you know, there's just so many things that we learn in different contexts that can be applied in our current situation. So if we have a mind that's open and curious and and uh, if we can come from uh, the Zen uh, concept of a beginner's mind where we can be, you know, tell me more, right? Tell me about that. Tell me um, what what's going on in your world from your perspective. If we can have that mindset, we mm-hmm. can do so much um, and we can learn so much and be able to apply um, information in novel and innovative ways. Mm-hmm. Again, that's really um, what I was trying to to say with this title that you know the, the, some of the principles of good horsemanship apply in my daily life as a clinician, as a social worker, and vice versa. Um, again, some of the skills that I learned um, in regard to having a quiet presence can uh, apply, you know, in, uh, in different situations in my uh, personal life. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of these skills apply to our role as a parent or as a friend or you know, again, as a colleague. So being able to have um, maybe um, more fluid boundaries and, again, that that kind of uh, 
humility of, uh, I don't know um, things from your point of view. Can you help me understand what's going on for you? I think that perspective can serve us well in many ways and can expand mm-hmm. our expertise. So I should have shared with our listeners at the start, Shirley, that uh, Shirley actually was a very key player in developing one of the courses in our online Master of Science program, which is our 603 course, Communication and Healthcare Decision Making, and she continues to serve as a course manager of that course. So I teach a course that's the, the flip side of that. Although all of our students are required to take your course and the first four courses all together, it seems to me that people sometimes get a little uncomfortable being forced out of their lane. Some people are way more comfortable staying in their little silo. So for example, this is actually more prevalent in the spring when we teach the psychosocial, spiritual, cultural versus the symptom management course. Uh, people sometimes feel like, why should I... Um, the social worker be worried about all those drugs? Why should the chaplain be worried about constipation? So you know I feel very strongly about transdisciplinary care. So is it good to force people a little bit out of their comfort zone? What do you think? Well, force is an interesting word, but yeah, I think, I think that's exactly, um, if we go back to my analogy with horsemanship, you know, everything about um, a horse being ridden is outside of that horse's comfort zone. If we think mm-hmm. of the horse as a prey animal, the only thing that would be on its back would be a mountain lion or a cougar when he's about to eat the horse. Um, oh. So the idea that a horse can um, be, and I'm, I'm, you can see I'm, I'm stopping here for the right word, um, gentled um, can be not coerced, not made to allow it, not forced to allow it, but, but um, invited. That's really, I guess, the word I want, that you mm-hmm. can take a prey animal and invite them to welcome this um, other species uh, mm-hmm. to uh, guide them is an amazing thing. You know, when you think about it, that's a pretty amazing thing that we can have cross-cultural, if you will, um, communication in such a way that from one um, being to another, we can invite that animal uh, to go where we envision and in the, the speed that we envision and in the rate we envision and, and can do so happily um, that's a pretty amazing, amazing thing. That's really taking some, something out of its lane, but doing it in a way that's not coercive. So I mm-hmm. think the, the challenge for us as educators is to be able to invite the learner um, to see and to imagine um, how they might be able um, to broaden their perspective and to see the world you know, from this, this other place and to see the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I'm all for everybody having um, uh, the opportunity to explore more deeply the spiritual and existential uh, concerns that patients might experience, as mm-hmm. well as, again, to understand the symptoms and, and to have a pretty robust understanding of how, bowel, how important bowel regimes are. You know, all of us need to be pretty aware of that. Um, no, again, not that I'm going to be the one to change the medication, but I better know about some of these factors uh, from medications mm-hmm. that um, opioid use can be associated with, um, you know, a, the need to have a bowel regime. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a social worker, that's absolutely in my lane as I now mm-hmm. see it. But it wasn't part of my uh, formal training, um, and it mm-hmm. certainly wasn't uh, something that, that um, I came to without, again, the gentle guidance <laughs> from uh, other folks that were far wiser than I. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess I didn't mean force in the way that some people would interpret force. We require those first four courses. So that's where I was going with that. I do sure, think that, uh, yes, I think sometimes, at least I have observed in the courses I teach, when the students approach some module or learning activity that they're like, I don't know, why would I need to do this? Um, I do see in their reflection journal, which we do every other week, which is certainly operationalizing metacognition, I'm always generally very pleased to read students say things like, I was a little fuzzy about why they were having me do this particular activity, but now I see why this is important. Why, um, why should the pharmacist be able to do um, the FICA, for example, or lead a goals of care conversation? So I can see where that would come up. So I think that has, it's really worked out quite well for us is my bottom line. And I think to your point about doing a little bit of cross-training, this enables all of our learners and you and I and everyone else to develop what Dr. Van Gutten has referred to as primary palliative care skills. So right. do you, you share that same impression? Absolutely. And that's where we think, that, again, if we keep playing with my horse analogy, um, there's different disciplines in horsemanship. I could be a person who rides dressage or maybe I ride western or I'm someone who does barrel racing or I'm someone who does hunting, hunting or jumping. Um, so there's these different uh, areas that one might specialize, but there are certain core principles or key principles we could call primary um, uh, principles that that all uh, that allow us uh, some people from different um, equestrian disciplines to be able to interact with that horse safely. And so, in that same idea that there's uh, specialists um, within healthcare for sure, mm-hmm. uh, but there is definitely room for primary uh, palliative care knowledge to serve. Um, every person from whatever their discipline is uh, to be able to interact more successfully with that patient or family. And some of those core principles are that idea that we have, um, you know, some uh, pretty sophisticated communication skills that we're Mm -hmm. able to um, be able to ask really hard questions like tell me more, that Mm -hmm. we're able to be more comfortable with silence and and being able to really um, hone our active listening um, being able to, again, be um, culturally curious, you know, uh, that we don't look at a person from outside uh, external kinds of things and assume that we know what's going on for them or what mm-hmm. their values or priorities or preferences or beliefs might be, that mm-hmm. we recognize that there's more um, than any external cues could give us and that we need to be um, much um, more humble about, again, our assumptions with people. So some of those core skills, I think, can apply no matter what area our specialization is and can mm-hmm. serve us well for the rest of our, our professional careers. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned culturally curious. Is this something people are born with, or is this a skill we can teach learners? Such a good question. Um, since both of us are educators, we already know the answer is, of course, it can be taught. <laughs> it better um, be. <laughs> <laughs> we're making that assumption. Um, I do think there's probably some of us that have... Uh, you know, kind of an intuitive, um, you know, mindset that that kind of drifts that direction, Um, maybe more so on a, if it's laid out on a continuum than others. Um, But but I think that these are absolutely teachable things. Um, Empathy is teachable. You know, all Mm -hmm. of these things that we sometimes look at and say, oh, you must, you know, kind of the stereotype is, right, we go to a... um, 
some sort of a social gathering. Uh, this is all so hyperbole. There's no social gatherings. I don't know what I'm talking about. But in mm-hmm. the past, um, in the before times, when people might have uh, socially engaged with one another, um, the idea that, that you would uh, perhaps talk to someone uh, about what you do and they would say something along the lines, oh, you must be a saint. I could never do that. Um, and, you know, that's a fairly typical response that palliative care people get um, in social situations. And I think the um, assumption that we're making is absolutely this is not because we were born saints, though some of us are maybe closer to that than others, um, but that we, again, have uh, had exposure to really wonderful instructors and really great mentors, and we've been able to hone and practice some of these skills, just like others have honed and practiced other skills that have made them really tremendous athletes or, or whatever they might be. So, you know, if we put 10,000 hours into anything, right, isn't that kind of the working hypothesis, mm-hmm. um, we can get probably pretty good at it. And so um, being able to, to be intentional with the communication that we do, um, since we communicate all the time, um, and that kind of goes back again to my uh, analogy with horses. One of the things that my father taught me as a, um, that really has struck with me is that every interaction with the horse is a training, and I needed to approach it with that mindset. Was I mm-hmm. training that horse in a way that was going to improve our relationship, or was I doing something that would be detrimental to that relationship? So every single interaction was an opportunity to make it better mm-hmm. or to make it worse. And that gave me an intentionality um, to every interaction. And I, if I can approach my patients or my colleagues or my family, you know, in my communications with them, and if I can be intentional, if I can be thoughtful about is this improving my relationship, is this uh, in some way being detrimental to it, I, again, I can accrue my 10,000 hours pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But I can certainly um, hone that skill, and I can become ever better at being able to um, create safe environments for people to explore the things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned empathy. I have a very brief story to share with you. When I was in pharmacy school, I remember one of the professors standing up and saying, so we're going to talk about empathy. So, for example, someone comes into your pharmacy, and they're upset, and they're in your face, and they're screaming and yelling at you. You should say, you seem to be upset. That's what empathy is. And I remember thinking, that is the dumbest thing I've heard of in my entire life. So then, you know, he was a very nice man, so I forgave him for this transgression. I graduated. A couple of years later, I'm in clinic. Patient comes in. He is insane. He's in my face. He's yelling at me. I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this guy? So I looked him dead in the eye and said, you seem to be upset. And he quieted down, and he started crying, actually. Um, But it dawned on me, empathy doesn't necessarily mean agreement. It's just, you know, and it's not sympathy either. It's acknowledging their feelings. Am I on the right track here? I think so. Vital Talk, one of our our wonderful uh, communication um, gurus, um, they have systematized um, how to respond to different circumstances and and done a great deal of of effort in teaching um, folks uh, in healthcare and in other, probably in other disciplines as well, but certainly in terms of um, OncoTalk for oncologists and VitalTalk, I think, for all healthcare providers to be um, more empathic and to be able to, uh, one of the the keys that they talk about is uh, um, with a uh, metaphor that they call NURSE, and, or an acronym, I guess, 
uh, that they call nurse, and the first one is naming the emotion, right? Mm -hmm, Um, So mm -hmm. being able to, as you say, acknowledge what's going on in the room. You know, I see that this is distressing. Um, You know, help me understand what's going on for you. Tell me more. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, these these scripts, if they are too rote and if they sound disgenuine, what's the word for that, Um, disingenuous, um, you know, that's that's, uh, counterproductive. But if they can be... You know, from, a, again, that place of, of seriously uh, cultural humility and cultural curiosity, that, that serious intent to understand what's going on, if we can be authentic in our desire to, to acknowledge what um, is clearly um, upsetting this person, <clears throat> I think we can, uh, you know, have great um, influence. And clearly you were able to use that skill and, you know, it, it was uh, demonstrated to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's our goal in our uh, Education with Communication course is to help people have enough tools in their toolkit so that they can apply different, uh, different strategies under different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, horsemanship, I'm going to keep coming back to my, uh, my title here. Um, in horsemanship, we um, have the same goal, right? We, we, we might want the horse to move forward. And, you know, I, my ideal is going to be that, that I lean forward just a little bit and the horse um, moves forward to accommodate that change in balance. So as I move forward, if I lean forward a little bit, the horse responds, and it's this almost imperceptible, subtle uh, communication. And that's our goal, that no one on the outside even sees anything that happens. And mm. before I get there, I might have to nudge a little bit. I might make little squeaky sounds. I might... Um, press my legs against the side, you know, I might tap them, um, you know, with my hand. There, there might be these other, other strategies that I use to help the horse to understand what it is that I'm, I'm trying to communicate. So I hopefully have lots of skills in my toolkit um, to uh, help the horse understand what I'm trying to ask. Again, it's all, our, all of these things would be invitations for the horse to, to mm-hmm. make a movement. And so in the same way, um, hopefully as a skilled palliative care practitioner, um, I'm able to have lots of tools um, in my toolkit. So when someone's distressed, I might try, you know, naming the emotion. I might um, sit in silence with the person. I might physically um, reach out and touch their knee, or I might uh, physically step back away so they feel less threatened. You know, hopefully Mm -hmm. I've got lots of tools and lots of skills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I try a plethora of them and, you know, try to pay attention to what things seem to work um, for that particular person at that particular time and then file that away um, so that I can use it again um, in a different situation, in a different circumstance for a different person. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I'm kind of doing uh, research on an N of one all the time, you know, trying mm-hmm. to continuous quality improvement and, and figuring out, you know, what things seem to work under what circumstances. Um, so that I can de-escalate the situation or, again, create movement, um, you know, by, uh, you know, whatever um, circumstance is going on. That's amazing. And as you were speaking, it occurs to me that this effort of this tell me more or naming the emotion does cross our professional lanes. So, for example, in pharmacy, we teach our students that when someone asks you a drug information question, the question they're asking you probably isn't even really the question they want answered. So you have to get to the root of what 
really is the intent with this question? What are you really trying to discover here? I think that's important. And getting back to talking about having learners do things or, or ask them to participate in activities that aren't entirely comfortable, they may not see the purpose, I think that's incumbent on us as educators to explain why this is important. Do you agree? Absolutely, absolutely. One of the, again, back to the horse analogy, um, if we want the horse to learn to pick up their feet, um, we sometimes will ride them over um, what we might call cavalettis, but, uh, you know, uh, sticks or boards that are, or logs if we're out in a natural environment that are on the ground. And mm-hmm. the idea is the horse will have a natural inclination in it to not stumble, right? That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The horse doesn't want to stumble. So the horse is going to be uh, a little bit more intentional itself in picking up its feet. And it, you've given them a reason for what you're asking them to do. If you want the horse to turn, um, and they're just learning about uh, your, your we call them aids um, as a, an equestrian, if you're wanting the horse to turn by riding them, to, uh, you know, mo- having them move forward uh, toward a, uh, the fence, um, the fence gives them an inclination. They have to turn, right? They're either going to mm-hmm. have to stop or bump the fence, or they have to turn. So if you're encouraging them to move and you're trying to teach them, um, you've given them a reason to do the thing that you're asking. And then they can put it together and go, oh, when he, you know, touches my uh, neck in this way with the rain, this is what he wants me to do. Oh, I see that now. That makes sense. And and then, as you just said, for the learner, um, they've been able to understand this new skill that you're asking them to, to stretch and perform. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's exactly what we are trying to do in education with uh, anyone, whether, again, it's our child or whether, you know, it's our, our learners in our course. We need to help them to see the, the advantage of mm-hmm. what it is we're asking them to do so that they mm-hmm. have a motivation internally to perfect that skill. Mm-hmm. So pardon the pun, but it's more than just leading them to water, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It had to be said, Shirley. I Let's circle back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So let's go a little bit deeper into how relationships can lay the foundation for success. I mean, you've kind of tapped in all around this, but success for both writers and providers. Right. So, again, it does, uh, it does come back to the leading the horse to water, and yet you can't make them drink, right? Um, mm-hmm. The horse is so much bigger than we are, so much more powerful, so much more everything. Um, how is it that we're able to influence that animal? And so... In the same way when it's certainly, uh, you know, 15 minutes into parenting, I realized you can't make a child do anything either. Um, you know, that was a shock. Um, you know, we can't really make almost anything happen. You know, we at best, we influence it. And mm-hmm. so being able to uh, build a kind of relationship where there's trust and rapport is what's necessary to increase our ability to influence. And so if that's our, our kind of understanding of how the world operates, then that helps us, again, to um, be more effective as palliative care providers. So if I want my colleagues uh, to, um, you know, do advanced care planning, um, which is uh, one of those primary palliative care practices, um, you know, again, I can yell at them and scream at them and and try to enforce them to do it, um, which, again, we've proven over time is probably not terribly effective, um, or I need to be able to think from their point of view what's going on and, again, try and customize my strategy to be able to, um, one of our adult learning principles, right, is to be you know, able to do just-in-time education, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to find um, the opportunity 
uh, to offer the influence um, because of the trust and the relationship that we've built, the rapport that we've built, that this person sees me as a credible source. Um, and so when I um, model maybe uh, ad uh, advanced care planning for that person, they're able to, um, you know, watch and learn and maybe, you know, that's all done pretty subtly and without a lot of fanfare, but just the op opportunity for that person to come up to the fence and say, hmm, I should probably turn here. Um, you know, it's just kind of a natural uh, learning that can occur. Um, so again, I think, I think our most our most successful strategies are all based on being able to build a relationship that's trusting um, and create safe environments for people to explore. We, one of the, the principles, again, is, is allowing for things to take as long as they take. The less okay. judgmental we can be, you know, mm -hmm. again, back to the horsemanship, if I'm angry at the horse for not knowing what I want, um, when I'm angry, the horse becomes frightened. There's kind of mm -hmm. two emotions, um, I think, that drive most everything for most creatures. Um, it's love and fear. And so mm -hmm. if I'm coming from a place of fear, the other being that I'm around is likely to say, well, something must be fearful or we wouldn't all be afraid. And mm -hmm. so then they're coming from a place of fear. And again, if mm -hmm. anxiety goes up, retention goes down. No one's learning much when we're in a place mm -hmm. of fear. So. If we can come from a place where there's, you know, again, kind of from our faith traditions of, of um, loving kindness or whatever language that, that kind of makes sense from our own tradition, but that place of um, openness and, and receptivity and, uh, again, kind of a calm presence, um, then others can uh, try new skills and feel safe in, in practicing them, knowing that we're not going to come in from a judging place, but from a... Um, you know, how can I help you to do that better? Um, that was really great. I wonder if you tried this, how that might work. You know, the, those, the, it just changes everything. Uh, one of the things I really love about life is uh, analogies and how many of them there are and how wonderful metaphors work. But if we take a container and we say it, it and it has, um, I'm holding this up so you can all see this um, with my hands, um, but if we take a container and say it's got half an amount in it, um, it's our choice whether we see it as half full and we celebrate it and say, Lynn, would you like some? Look how much I have. It's half full. I'm happy to share. Or if I see it as half empty and I pull it away from you and I say, you can't have any. Look, it's, it's half gone. My gosh, I have to keep it away from you. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's entirely within my, my choice um, mm -hmm. which way I see the world. And to the degree that I can see it from a place of abundance and gratitude and joy, um, you know, and again, loving kindness or whatever phrasing, again, that, that resonates for someone, then I can come with my gifts and skills and talents and try and share them with the world because look how bountiful it is. Oh, that's um, a lovely sentiment. <laughs> I wish everyone could be that way, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> and I think we all can. It's a matter of, of creating the environment where we can feel safe. It's when, when we say that the world is a scary place and we all act accordingly that it makes it more difficult for us to come mm -hmm. from that that other perspective. Although I do think the world's a scary place right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's facts, right? There's facts on both sides. We can absolutely yeah. make the argument of that. Um, again, conversely, we can say our rate of dying from this is still whatever minuscule percentage, right? It's, a, mm -hmm. it, it's still a, a, a very small uh, likelihood. Nonetheless, it is an increased likelihood than it was six months ago. And True. so, um, you know, it is still, uh, it, it still comes from our, 
our point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're right. The pandemic is a great reminder of if we focus on on the negative and the scariness, we have a lot of people who are going to feel more negative and more scared. Mm-hmm. Don't watch the news so often. And you know, you mentioned about uh, using good judgment. I heard a speaker recently uh, use the expression, "Show good judgment, but don't be judgmental." And I thought that was a kind of a take-home nugget. And also, when you talk about the fear factor in a relationship with a healthcare professional or anyone, actually, I hate it when people should on me. You yeah. should get eight hours of sleep. You should stop working so hard. And I know that is kind of a scare tactic. So you're talking about the fear there. But I react with anger. I hate when people do that to me. So so tell me a bit more about how fear impacts relationships for both riders and providers. Yep, absolutely. Well, again, you know, that, that back to the, the animal as a prey animal, you know, the, the horse's first, uh, the survival mechanism for how many millennia, you know, is again run first and ask questions later. So if, some, if a plastic bag blows across the, the trail um, or a bunny jumps out of the bush, you know, neither of those from our cognitive place as a rational human being would we see that as a threat to the horse. Why does mm-hmm. the horse jump and whirl and start running back toward the barn? You know, mm-hmm. that's a pretty silly thing. And we can get angry and we can punish the horse. We can jerk on their reins and, and yell at them and, you know, whop them with our stirrups or, or if we have a riding crop or whatever it might be. You know, we can, we can have a tizzy fit because now we become frightened, right, as mm-hmm. the horse is bolting and running away, you know, oh my gosh, I could be killed, I could be trampled, I could be thrown off, you know, bad things could happen, we could run under that tree, you know, and my mind starts to race, and now I'm terrified. So the horse, mm-hmm. rightly so, says, well, my gosh, if she's scared, I'd better run faster. You know, <laughs> whatever that bag or bunny or whatever it was, you know, is now, um, has been, has become a real threat. Does that make sense? Right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly, what we've really done is reinforce that you better you better be on the alert because, oh, my gosh, that shadow over there, what if that was going to be another bag or bunny? I better jump accordingly, and pretty soon we've got a horse that is afraid of everything and is literally unsafe to ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we take that in terms of for people, I think the same thing, right? Fear messes with our relationships in just horrible ways. Um, and so pretty soon we become, we again, if we look uh, kind of on a sociopolitical level, right, when we're fearful, we'll give away our civil liberties. We will do all kinds of things um, from a place of fear. And instead of having, you know, kind of the country that we had aspired to, we, we might find ourselves in a different circumstance. Um, when we're able to come from a place of togetherness and, you know, we can get through this and, and yes, this is hard, but, but you know, again, coming from a, that, that other, other perspective, again, that, that place of love and whatever um, support, you know, we, we have a very different uh, circumstance. Back to the rider, if the bunny or the bag blows across the, the uh, trail, if I can stay calm, 100% calm, um, the horse can read that emotion from me and can say, you know, maybe it makes a quick jump, but I reassure the horse, we turn back and we face the, the bunny, and the horse says, oh, it's a bunny, I, I, I'm embarrassed myself, okay, let's go forward, you know, um, we're, we're all good. Um, you know, it's again that idea that horses were made to be horses. We shouldn't be angry at them for doing what's an absolutely natural thing to do, 
When mm-hmm. our patients come in and they're fearful, sometimes we get angry at them. Mm-hmm. Why are they, they should be thankful that I'm taking care of them. Why are they coming across as uh, angry at us? We forget that they may well have had experiences where healthcare has been denied or not um, readily accessible, you know, either historically or for them personally. Um, that they're, they're, I, Most of my clinical work was with oncology, so I tend to reflect on the, the patients that we saw who had advanced cancer at time of, of diagnosis because they didn't have access to medical care. They had every reason to be skeptical about us. They, mm-hmm. they had every reason to jump from the shadows, right? They, we needed to be very, very um, intentional about being the calm presence to create a safe environment, to help them to see that we weren't going to, um, even though bad things had happened in their past, we weren't going to uh, perpetuate that. We were mm-hmm. going to be an alternative to that. So I think... It, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'll finish your sentence. Oh, I was just going to say, so I think that, that again, um, it's, it's being able to uh, not respond in kind, but to be able to be intentional. Um, and the, the strategy that helps me with that is uh, the mantra that I have for myself is, isn't that interesting? So if I can, and that's in my best days, not, and most days are not my best days, but on my <laughs> best days, um, if something, uh, if a person is challenging us, if a person is, is angry, you know, here I am, the sweetest person on the planet, how could they possibly be angry at me, right? So yeah. I could get all uh, bent out of shape. But if I try really hard on my best day, I'll take a deep breath and I'll say, hmm, isn't that interesting that, that my best attempt here at being a kind and, and thoughtful and supportive person is uh, eliciting that response? I wonder what's going on for them. If mm-hmm. I can do that, isn't that interesting? And then do that reframe in my mind that gives me back to that, that cultural curiosity. And I can, and in some version of, you know, help me understand what's going on for you. Tell me more. If mm-hmm. I can somehow get to that, but stay in that place of calm, um, then pretty soon it turns out the other person almost always does as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the same way as the horse analogy. But I think this sounds like a skill set that is more challenging than learning how to ride a horse. I think a lot of <laughs> practitioners don't have the self-awareness to realize that perhaps there is an element of anger coming through or being judgmental. And I mean, we are, you know, <laughs> people still. So, you know, when people feel like they're being boxed into a corner, how do you not react that way? It almost seems like you're suggesting taking a step out of that situation and standing like a little sidebar to make yeah. an observation. That's hard to do. It is hard to do, but it takes, again, it's practice, right? Those 10,000 hours of practice. But mm-hmm. that's, yeah, you might have uh, seen or heard um, horses are used for therapy in lots and lots of circumstances. And one of my favorite places is in prisons. Um, there's quite a few programs now um, that have adopted horses um, in some uh, prison settings for, again, you know, carefully selected people and all. But um, often folks that have had really violent crimes and have empathy de- deficits. And so these are folks that um, haven't had, you know, uh, you know, in their childhood and all, um, you know, had really horrible things happen to them and didn't develop uh, some of these skills to be able to read um, how other people are experiencing the world. And what's beautiful about an animal, and specifically, again, since we're using horses as our example, um, they react to how you react. So if the person is angry, 
the horse is scared. That is 100%, 100% of the time. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, a few things that you can kind of count on. You come in angry, the horse is going to be like, oh, something is wrong, and I ought to get out of here. Um, you know, so uh, what's beautiful is over time, the person, you know, who doesn't, who kind of is angry all the time and, you know, will look at you and say, I'm not angry, um, you know, but if they keep doing it in the ways that they've done it, the horse is going to keep giving them, it keeps mirroring back what's going on for the person. And there's this tremendous breakthrough that occurs at whatever point, because, again, things take as long as they take, right? But mm-hmm. at whatever point when the person has the aha moment and the horse comes up to them, um, they're like, oh, that's different. I'm different. Mm-hmm. I'm, I did something different. Um, and the horse responded differently because of what I did differently. And there's this kind of amazing thing of what was that and how do I do that again? And, whoa, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's hard. It's absolutely hard. It's not intuitive. Um, you know, we're social creatures. And so, you know, again, we, we respond to how the other person's responding because if they're angry, there must be something to be angry at. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're all saying it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, we get mad at them uh, if they're mad at us. And, and then things escalate, and then here we are in World War III. So, you know, the, the challenge is absolutely to be able to, um, again, I keep wanting to shout out to all of our Zen Buddhist masters and, and all the different faith traditions that, uh, you know, our Christian tradition, with, you know, this has just been Passover and Easter and all of, and Ramadan, I think, is coming. And, you know, all of these are times of, um, you know, similarities in, in these traditions where there's the turn the other cheek and, um, you know, be kind to those that, that hurt you. Um, you know, bless those that, that torment you. There's there's all kinds of, of wisdom from different cultures and different faith traditions that ask us to be able to rise above, right? Um, when mm-hmm. they go low, we go high. Um, you know, that ask us to rise above the, the provocation um, and offer an invitation back to the other person to not be afraid. Because, mm, again, wow. if you're not afraid, then they don't have to be angry. Um, wow. And we can find out what's going on. Again, behind every anger is fear. And if we can find out, you know, I'm afraid because I hurt, and that's what most fear is, right? I hurt, um, and I'm angry because I'm afraid you're going to hurt me again. <laughs> you know, if we can kind of get, like you had said so brilliantly before, it's the question behind the question. Mm-hmm. When I come in and I say, doc, or, you know, pharmacist, you know, why, what's this medicine about, or why do I have cancer? It's very seldom, again, the biochemical answer that we want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Absolutely. a special one. Well, Shirley Otis Green, I think you could read the phone book and people would sign up just to listen because you are awesome. You make me want to start meditating and keep a gratitude journal and be a better person. And oh, I'm exhausted just thinking about my to-do list after talking to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, any closing thoughts? I want to be Shirley when I grow up. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Shirley? You know, I think, um, and thank you again for the opportunity to, to dialogue with you about this. Makes me want to go ride a horse. Um, but yeah, I think I think the, the closing takeaways maybe are that authenticity matters. Um, you know, we can. I'm not. I can say. You know, I'm not upset. But if I am upset, you know, again, both the horse. But I think our patients also read us. Um, our mm-hmm. kids read us. Our parents read us. You know, people know. Um, so we need to be authentic. We need to be reflective. Um, you know, if, if I had a magic wand and, and uh, you know, could help folks to, to be more um, 
self-aware, you know, I think that would go that would go a long way in our world. Um, yes. And being able then to um, offer that compassionate presence. Um, we haven't talked much about compassion, but I think again, being able to offer that compassionate presence where I want to be from the Latin, right? It's being with the other person. Mm-hmm. So being with the other person um, and being able to explore what matters most. I think that's going to serve us um, well as we go through whatever, um, either personally or professional, uh, challenges that, that we're all facing. Well, we'll save that for another podcast. What do you think? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, I want to land with one thing. My favorite book when I was a child was published January 1st, 1944, and it's called Heads Up, Heels Down, A Handbook of Horsemanship and Riding by C.W. Anderson, who I believe was a great author of all things horse-related. It was my father's book. So I remember treasuring that as a child, and I still have it in my library upstairs. That's so awesome. I, I didn't know that about you. That's great. That's a great – I believe that there were beautiful illustrations in that book. Yes. Absolutely. It's a lovely hardback book. All righty. Well, thank you so much, uh, Shirley Otis Green. You hung the moon, my friend. This is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2020, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program in Palliative Care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.